Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. We are in week four of our series on the ministry of Jesus, and we're going to be looking at the healing ministry of Jesus. You'll also notice around the sanctuary here, we've got a longer handout here that spells out the five-step prayer model, and this was something that John Wimber and the, the Vineyard put together in the 1980s to help train and equip the church in a very practical way, and some of you are very familiar with this. Some of you have not heard of the five-step prayer model, and what we're going to be doing in the coming weeks is we're going to have training opportunities for people to sign on and to participate in that, because as we'll see this morning, Jesus commissions all of his disciples, all of his followers, and anoints them to do the works of Jesus as he did So last week we looked at deliverance in our third time of looking at the ministry of Jesus and we saw that in deliverance, the deliverance ministry of Jesus, there was a clash of kingdoms and we saw Jesus' victory over the devil, demons, sin, sickness, and death. We saw in 1 John 3, 8 that Jesus came for this very purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And we also saw that Jesus, and we're going to talk more about this in Mark 6, 7, he turns to the 12, to his disciples, and he turns to us today, and he sends us out two by two and gives us authority over unclean spirits and over sickness. We didn't talk about this because we ran out of time, but as we are asking the Lord for fresh anointing and empowerment to confront the enemy, we've got to put our armor on. Where's that found? If I were to say, hey, tell me about the armor of God, where's that found in the scriptures? Ephesians 6, that's right. And so I think it's important that we walk in great faith and confidence and we have nothing and no one to fear. So as we look at demons and of all sorts, we have nothing to fear, not even death itself, but we're also wise, right? So we never taunt the enemy, we never taunt demons, and we are protected. God provides us all that we need in Christ. But Paul says in Ephesians 6, as we're battling spiritual forces, that we've got to take up the armor of God. So I would encourage you, if you don't do it already, try that daily practice. Open up Ephesians 6 and put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the gospel of peace on your feet and the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit because friends, we're in a battle. We're in a fierce battle and if we are soldiers of love, soldiers of Jesus, we wanna be clothed in all that he's provided for us in Christ, amen? So as we've seen from the beginning of this shorter series, The kingdom of God was the foundation of Jesus' message and ministry. Wasn't that sweet singing those seven words this morning? 
Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That comes from the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 6 on prayer. That's really the essence of the church in our spirits. We're crying, King Jesus, bring your kingdom. Father, let your will be established. And this is what we saw in the beginning of the series, that Jesus embodies the kingdom. He brings the reign and rule of God into human history through his person and his works. We've also been looking at the fact that Jesus' model is the best. Is there another model for ministry for us that's better than his? I think not. I think we have some people that we can look at throughout church history, and we can say, wow, that is really encouraging. That's empowering. That shows me how to do this. But all of those folks were imitating Jesus. And so in the Gospels, we have the model of all models, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to look at the example that Jesus gives us for praying for people and healing in particular, and we're going to see seven facets of this. And I do want to say up front, we're looking primarily at physical healing, but geez, we would need several Sundays to talk about the different types of healing that Jesus enacted and that he continues to enact. And I do want you to know in the, over the next few weeks, um, we're going to be talking about inner healing and some of the Holy Spirit counselors and therapists that we have here because those are equally as important. God cares about the whole person, doesn't he? And so today, keep in mind, I believe that God wants to touch us and reform us and recreate us, body, soul, and spirit, our whole person. But today we're going to look in particular at how Jesus brought physical healing And we'll see oftentimes he was addressing physical healing, but when he did that, when a body was touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, their whole person was transformed. So the first thing is found in John 5, 19, and Connie referenced this. Before we look at this, I'm going to ask the Lord, Lord, would you teach us? Jesus, we lean on you. We thank you for the written word, but we ask you, the greatest teacher who's ever lived to speak to us through your word, to let us encounter you through the written word. We want to encounter the living word through the words of scripture. Teach us through the Holy Spirit. Amen. John 5, 19, Connie addressed this a couple of weeks ago. You can open your Bible to look at that. This is one that you should have tattooed on your mind imprinted on your memory, John 5, 19. Esther was actually referencing this at our staff meeting this week. This is really, it encapsulates the ministry of Jesus, including the healing ministry of Jesus. John 5, 19 says this, Jesus said to them, very very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So Jesus, the first thing to see in the healing ministry of Jesus that we want to emulate, that we want to learn from and imitate, is that Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. Look at this verse. This verse is just a couple of lines here, but it is filled with rich meaning. It suggests, as Connie pointed out, Jesus was a man of prayer. He was deeply connected with the Father. 
There's no way to see what he's doing if he's not in tune with him, fellowshipping with him in love and prayer and obedience. He could do nothing on his own. This is the son of God in the flesh, and he could do nothing on his own. He relied on the Father, and he didn't just go do his own thing. Many times people will say, well, why didn't Jesus go in and empty the leper colony of the day? And why didn't he? Because he did what the Father was doing. We're going to talk about that in a minute in some practical ways. So whatever the Father was doing, Jesus did. The book of John goes on to show that seven different times Jesus worked miracles of healing. All of them engendered faith in Jesus. And we're going to see this morning that there are three particular types of miracles and healings that Jesus performs. And the first is exorcisms. The second is physical healings. That's what we're going to look at. And thirdly, resurrections. So I just want to ask you for a moment here. If this is in fact one of those touchstone verses, the essence of Jesus' relationship with the Father and the foundation of his whole ministry How in the world can you and I practically grow in seeing what the Father's doing? I want you to think about that for a minute so that this isn't just some kind of abstract idea. Jesus saw what the Father is doing. How do you think you might grow in seeing and observing what the Father's doing? Think about it. Your circle that you're in, Work, your school, what would you start with this week, even Monday, tomorrow? Father, I want to see what you're doing. What would you do? Probably pray, right? That's what Jesus would do. I'm sure that it wasn't that complicated. Jesus would spend time with the Father in prayer, oftentimes getting refilled and replenished. And then my guess is, He would show up at the different places he was, and he would literally, in his spirit, be saying, Father, what are you doing? I know what you did last week, but what are you doing today? Who do you want to touch? He was looking around. So this, perhaps, could be an effective arrow prayer. We talk about arrow prayers around here, and they're prayers that we have ready to go all through the day, and it keeps us in touch with God, and perhaps this is an arrow prayer, we should be praying regularly, Father, what are you doing? Father, what are you up to? Help me see what you're doing. It's not rocket science, is it? And I'm guessing that if we will devote ourselves to that, Father, what are you doing? Help me see what you're doing, that God will begin to nudge you. Now, friends, it usually isn't a lightning bolt or some kind of audible voice that comes. Zach, this is what I'm doing here at your workplace. And No, it's as we get to know the Father and we share friendship with him and we commune with Jesus, we, we share his heart. And so oftentimes it can be as simple as, Lord, who are you touching? Who do you want to speak to? And your eyes go to a particular person. Or as we're going to see in a minute, Jesus, in his compassion, would be led to people. You know what that's like, right? You can walk into a restaurant, I bet, and see who is lonely or who 
is struggling. You can tell from someone's countenance. So these are practical ways. Ask the Lord, and I guarantee you, if you're saying, show me what you're doing, give me your heart, he is ready to do that. And so I anticipate we have all kinds of great stories that are developing now, but I know more are coming in the coming weeks where we're going to be saying, hey, I've been doing John 5.19. I want to tell the church about it. The second thing in the ministry of healing that Jesus models is that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to heal and really to do all of the Father's works. Look at Luke 4, Luke chapter 4, one of those verses that is actually woven into the very mission of our church. This is one worth praying and meditating on and even memorizing. Luke 4, beginning at verse 16. The idea that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, 16 to 19. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled it and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a rich passage. Oftentimes we don't realize this, that Jesus is describing his ministry from the prophet Isaiah chapter 61, and so his ministry flows out of the written word of God. Think about that for a moment. This was prophesied about him, but he's also modeling for us, for his followers, that there's a deep organic connection between, between walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and the written words of Scripture. It's not either or. Hey, are you a Bible person? Are you a words of Scripture person? Or are you one of those charismatics that's into the works of Jesus? The text is showing us right here the word and the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit go together. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism in the previous chapter, chapter 3 of Luke. And he is actually a spirit-empowered human being. We oftentimes think of the deity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, that he's God in the flesh, and he is. But we also, as we look at the healing ministry of Jesus, need to ponder that he was fully God and fully human. And so he chose, he submitted himself, as Philippians 2 talks about, to being reliant on the Father through the Spirit. So his model that he gives us here, that he's speaking about, is a Spirit-empowered model for all of his followers. The other thing here, before we look at the next verse, is that the anointing isn't just resting on him. The Spirit of God isn't just empowering him for no reason. What are the reasons? Look at the text. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. The anointing is on him. To what? There's five things here, which we follow. 
to bring good news to the poor. He was all about bringing the gospel, the good news to the marginalized, the poor, including the Gentiles, the Jews and the Gentiles. He was proclaiming release to the spiritual captives, and we saw that last week, didn't we? In Mark, that Gadarene demoniac who had a legion of demons in him. He was captive, and Jesus, carrying the heart of the Father and seeing what the Father was doing that day, said, it's your day of release. I'm going to release you from about 6,000 demons. So that is what, this is his mission statement in a sense here. The third is recovery of sight to the blind. Isaiah the prophet had prophesied that the Messiah would come and bring vision spiritually and literally. He would heal the blind and we're going to see that in a moment. Fourthly, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the time of the Lord's favor. So when Jesus came, he said, it's jubilee time in the Holy Spirit. It's time for the captives to be set free, for the sick to be healed. One other verse here before we look at the third thing is in Acts 10, 38. This is the apostle Peter reflecting on the person of Jesus. Acts 10, 38. And again, I encourage you to bring your Bible so you can grow increasingly familiar with these passages and be able to thumb through your Bible so that you in turn can turn to other people and make disciples, share with them, mentor them, which is what we're going to talk about next week. Acts 10.38, the apostle says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So again, we can see in the Gospels, we can see in the second part of the Gospel of Luke, which is Acts, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. I have to stay on point here, but when it says Jesus of Nazareth, it's the equivalent of saying, hey, this is the poor kid from that poor town, from that ghetto in the Middle East. That's what the text is saying. He wasn't from a well-known, well-connected elite family, but this is God anointing Jesus of Nazareth. Something beautiful in that. We all have a little Nazareth in us, don't we? We're all ordinary, broken, poor in spirit, and the Lord says, I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to anoint you just as I anointed Jesus. What does he do here? As we saw in Luke 4, Jesus is anointed to do these two things, to do good and to heal. And this was made possible by that last little phrase there. What's it say? Look at that, friends. Acts 10, 38. God was with him. So just as we saw in John 5, 19, he's connected with the Father he does only what he sees the Father doing, and this text is saying here, he's able to do these things because he's anointed and because God the Father is with him. We should lean into this, looking at the model of Jesus. This is also something, friends, good news, that we can grow in, learning and seeing what the Father is doing, depending on the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did. And thankfully, we have examples I want to plug this book here. Can't really see the cover. This is hard cover, but it's John Wimber. It's Power Healing. 
And it's a new classic on the gift of healing. So if you are especially interested in learning more about how to pray for the sick, it's a great book and we have some copies of it out there, Power Healing by John Wimber. And beautiful thing about John Wimber's life is that he's very candid. When he was around, he would share stories and tell self-deprecating things. And he talks about working through the Gospel of Luke as a church for a year, one year, and they prayed for lots and lots and lots of people. He estimated over a 1,000 people. And he said it got so bad that they would pray for people and catch their sickness. People would come up and he was like, what is going on here? The elders would be there to anoint people and they would have other people trained and they would get sick. The key, Wimber said, was persistence, not giving up. So this morning, I want to invite us into that place of persistence and endurance. And all good things are worth working for, aren't they? Persisting. Now, do we work and earn healing? How would you answer that? No. The scriptures make it clear that the cross of Jesus, the blood of Christ, provides all that we need. Healing is mercy. It's grace. But I don't think that God goes around and hands this out without people earnestly wanting it and asking for it and being trustworthy. I remember someone, I, I think it was, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago and someone was talking about this being like power tools. Jeff, I think that was you. And uh, a father wouldn't just give a kid a power tool, right, unless they knew how to work it. And so I think what John and his community learned was the father does want to give us gifts of healing and to heal people consistently and persistently, but we have to have character formed in us. And we have to know that this is his work. And so that we don't walk away thinking, man, I sure am anointed. I sure am gifted. That person got healed because of my sanctity, my righteousness. Friends, all of this is the mercy of God. The healing is rooted in the mercy and goodness and kindness of God. One thing I love in this book, and we've talked about it numerous times, but it's one of my all-time favorite quotes. The Lord spoke to Wimber and said, preach my word, not your experience. And that has just been ringing in my ears and in my spirit. Because if I'm real with you today on the Sunday morning, I want to recover a passion for praying for sick people and healing. And so I'm with you in that boat this morning. If you're like, I'm really rusty in this, or I'm weak in faith, I need to get at it again, I am with you. I am not praying for the sick like I want to, but now that we're talking about it, I'm accountable to you. And so we get to grow in this together. Do you want to grow in praying for the sick? I certainly do. I want to encounter some of the things that I saw early on with Jesus when Amanda and I would pray weekly. We would pray at least once a week for sick people, and we experienced that year of not seeing much, but then we've seen God touch people. So let's do that together. What do you say? That we 
throw our hat in and we say, Lord, we want to grow in the gift of healing. A third thing here, I referenced it already, but Jesus was motivated or moved by compassion to heal the sick, to heal the oppressed. Very quickly here, look at Matthew 14, 14. I just want to point out a couple of places here that point this out. Could see many others, but Matthew 14, 14 says this. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And look at what it says here. And he had compassion for them and cured their sick. Look at Matthew 20, 34. Let's go a few chapters over there. In Matthew's gospel, I'm just showing you a couple of examples here. And you could cross-reference this through the other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew 20, verse 34. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately, they regained their sight and followed him. Let's read those three words there at the beginning of that together. Moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. The word there literally means to be moved in the inward parts. I I liken it to almost stepping inside the shoes of the skin of another person. To feel what they're feeling. To allow that to move you. The word compassion literally to feel with another. And this was undergirding the whole ministry of Jesus a book I would recommend to you. Again, I like to reference books so you can go in and dig and other stories. And here, there's an Indian man who was saved. He came from a Hindu family. His name is Mahesh Shavda, M-A-H-E-S-H. And his last name is Shavda, C-H-A-V-D-A. And he has a book called Only Love Can Make a Miracle. And if you are interested in the healing ministry of Jesus and learning how compassion operated in his ministry, read that book. It's full of stories. But Mahesh talks about on every page spending time with a father and saying, Father, would you give me your heart? I want to see your power, but would you give me your heart? I want the compassion of Jesus in me. And he found that there was an intrinsic connection as the love of God rested on him as the compassion of Jesus flowed through him, that he saw miracles and healing. And we know that 1 Corinthians 13 says that we can do all of these great miraculous things, but if we don't have love in our hearts, if we don't have compassion, then we're just noisy. We're empty. And so, friends, as we look at this, we want the compassion of Jesus and the love of God in our hearts. A little side note here. Um, I took my brother, our family went to a conference in Kansas City. This would have been about 1991. And Mahesh was there. And he prayed for my brother. And my brother was instantly healed of asthma that had taken him into the hospital many times. And he was on serious medication. And so I remember at that point taking my brother. He was around 10 or 11 years old. And going up and Mahesh prayed for him and the power of God went through his body. He had no frame of reference for this. He was on the ground quivering gently. The Holy Spirit healed him. 
So the connection there with Mahesh. A fourth thing, Jesus often laid hands on people to heal them. We know that. Some of these things are pretty clear and obvious as you read the Gospels. But then there are some richer elements to look at. Look at Matthew 9, 18. I'm just going to go through these quickly so that we have time to pray for some sick people. Matthew 9, 18. I'm going to read this and then another verse from Luke 4. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came and knelt before Jesus saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So the laying on of hands at Luke 4, 40, says that as the sun was setting, all those who had any sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. I want to look at this one text here. Look at Mark 7. Again, we're seeing that Jesus often put his hands on people and prayed for them. Let's look at this one quickly here. Mark 7, 31 to 35. This one's interesting, very interesting, and I'm not sure I would necessarily advise doing all of this, but the point is made here that he was listening to the Father and he was acting out symbolically to communicate things about himself and healing power. Mark 7, 31 through 35. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went by the way of Sidon toward the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, those ten cities we talked about last week. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech because Jesus cares about such things. And they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him aside in private. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So I think this is one of those moments that illustrates John 5.19. Father, who are you touching and how are you doing it? Look at that at verse 33. What's he do here? Puts his fingers in his ears. So as we pray for sick people today, are we going to have some of those gestures, those physical things? Praying for Chris Fritch and I put my fingers in his ears and I promise not to spit on you, brother. But I think the point of this is that he was following the Father's lead. Whether it was symbolic, does this symbolize something? That the very fingers of God were entering this man's ear canals? We don't know. People have speculated about this for 2,000 years. Was it efficacious? That is, did it actually work something in that moment? So that as a healer, he was going into his ears and the very physical touch was doing something? We we don't know. I think that we can be certain that what it was communicating is that the Son of God, the healer, was touching that man's physical body in that moment, doing something that only he can do. So I think a takeaway from this, and this is a delicate balance here, all right, because I've heard some interesting stories 
follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We'll see that we don't want to make people uncomfortable and there are wise things to do, especially touching people in certain places in their body and all that. But I think there are times where God may have you do something in an act of faith, as long as it's biblical and it's integrous and it's not turning the person off. I heard a story a couple of years ago, Janine Blount at the Crestwood Vineyard, she did something that Jesus had done and ended up putting her hand and kind of slapping someone right here gently and the Lord healed them instantly and she was sitting there going, I don't want to do this. I just, I do not want to do this. And the Lord said, if you will lean up and just gently tap them like this, then I'm going to heal them. So again, you hear me on this, right? We follow the Holy Spirit, but we use our reason. We don't go around spitting on people. But I will tell you that in other countries, they follow this literally, and people get healed. So I'm trying to walk that fine line here. I, I, don't, uh, I don't encourage us to just go out and freely do wacky stuff, but who knows? All right, the fifth thing here. Jesus cast out demons that were sometimes linked to a person's sickness or disease. You hear me on that, right? That last one, I'm kind of stuck on it. Jesus makes mud and puts mud on people's eyes. And I've heard Westerners, especially academics, say, oh, you would never do that. That's foolish, putting dirt on someone's eyes. And then you hear folks from China, India, from other places, and they follow that, and the person gets healed. So I think that that's the challenge of discipleship and following Jesus, letting him sometimes offend our minds to reveal our hearts. Jesus cast out demons quickly here. Mark, uh, Matthew 12:22. Matthew 12:22. And then 28. They brought to Jesus a demoniac, a demonized person who was mute and blind. And Jesus cured him so that the one who had been mute could speak and see. And then he says at verse 28, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So you get to see in the, the ministry of Jesus that sometimes folks that were demonized and Jesus cast demons out of them, they ended up healed. I would say that Gadarene demoniac that we looked at last week was a pretty good example of that, wouldn't you? He was filled with demons Jesus drove the demons out, and he was clothed and in his right mind. So sometimes there might be demonic forces behind a person, and Jesus knew that, and we can also address that. Sixthly, sixthly here, Jesus used different types of words and prayers when healing. I'm going to ask you to look at this. I don't know how many of you have this five-step prayer model here. If you don't, you can... Grab one from the stools that are at the entrance and up here. I want to make sure that you grab one of those and put it in your Bible. You might want to photograph it. I want us to become increasingly familiar with this five-step prayer model. One thing it says at step three here is that when we're praying for a person and we interview them and we're asking the Lord for help in discerning the issue, we have to select a prayer. How should I pray for this person? What kind of prayer is needed. And this little pamphlet here explains that 
Usually, you're going to be praying to the Father and appeal, Lord, heal this person. Or you're speaking directly to the situation, the sickness, the ailment, the oppression. And both of those are equally valid. But friends, I just want to say as we become a vineyard and move into the vineyard movement, that we're no hype. We're not people of hype. Do you think God is hard of hearing? I certainly don't. So we really don't need to shout and yell as we pray for someone. We can do it very casually. And Father, would you heal this person? I speak to the sickness here in the name of Jesus and tell these headaches to be gone. I speak to the the neck pain, be gone. So these are the kinds of things here. And we don't have time for this, but you can look at John 11, 39 through 45. And Jesus models both of these, a prayer to God, the Father, and then an actual directive. He speaks directly and says, Lazarus, come out. A seventh thing here. I'm going to ask the folks who I had talked to before the service, if you have any words for healing, why don't you go ahead and make your way up here. We're going to make some space here to pray for people. A seventh, last thing, is that Jesus authorized his disciples to heal and to cast out demons, and we'll talk about this next week. It's really Matthew 10, 1, and Mark 6, so we'll come back to that next week. But Jesus does not let his followers off the hook. He models for them. He shows them how to speak about the kingdom and then how to demonstrate it. And he turns to his disciples and says, I'm giving you authority. That anointing that is on me that Luke 4 talks about, I'm giving that to you. I'm imparting that to you. And you're going to go out two by two and you're going to do what I've been doing. So friends, this is the invitation that Jesus gives to us. We're going to look at it next week. How Jesus multiplied himself through his disciples, the 12, the 70. And he's calling us at our Lord's to multiply ourselves in the coming days. And I want to tell some of you, it's time to, to get in the game like never before. You might sit there and think, well, I don't feel comfortable or I, you don't know what I've done. I'm like, get off the bench and get in the game. You ready? I'm ready to be challenged in new ways and to pray for people, to ask the Father what he's doing out there during the course of my day. So I've asked some people here, and we're right at 12 o'clock. So I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up, and the worship band can come up as well. If you're on the ministry team today, I'm going to ask that you would come up because you're going to get to participate and pray for some of these words. Why don't you go ahead and come up here? All of you can come up here and we're going to end with this. What are, they, what are they going to be doing? Some of you are familiar with this. We ask John 5, 19, Father, what, what are you doing even here? And Sunday mornings are a training time for us. So I've asked some people to ask the Lord, what, what are some areas, what are some things that we can address? And the Lord does speak. So these folks are going to have some things, and it might be you that they're addressing. So I'd encourage you to respond to these words that they have. Where is this in Scripture? It's all over the place, but John 4 is a great place to look and see where Jesus actually knew things about people and led them into healing that woman at the well. Who wants to go first? We'll make these quick so we can cover all of them. So um, I just feel like there's someone here, maybe two people. Um, who've had really severe stomach cramping. It could be IBS or other things. 
but okay, well, one of them's you, and I think there's somebody else. Cramps that wake you up at night, it's so severe, so. Um, left foot, right hand, and someone who's experiencing numbness. Uh, left knee, specifically the, like something with tendons in the kneecap, um, where it gets out of place and gets moved around wrong. Uh, someone who probably doesn't know they need to ask for healing, get prayer for healing because they've had it for so long, but when you move your neck or maybe when you twist it back or rotate it too much, you got a lot of pain specifically in the neck. So this one seems a little bit more generic, but it's uh, the migraine. And um, it, most people don't come to church with migraines. And so if you're here with migraines, I was actually hearing there's multiple people with that. So uh, that's what I got. And I just think that, that what he said about persistence, we need to be people who persist. And sometimes... You know, I've, I've dealt with physical issues, and it's hard to keep coming back and not receiving uh, healing for specific things, but we need to be people who don't ever stop asking. So if you're saying, well, no, they've already prayed for that, you would specifically need to come up because we need to keep persisting in prayer. All right, why don't we stand? And if one of these conditions fits you, why don't you come up and get prayer? I know I will be, should be praying for people, but I'm going to get some prayer as well. And we'll probably need some other people to come up, maybe some of our staff people and others who've learned the healing prayer model. As we've been doing lately, we're gonna end a little more softly here so you can linger around So, Lord, we just do ask for your persistence, your endurance, your commitment to stand on the words of Scripture, to pray for the sick, as Jesus instructed, as James 5 says. And would you give us courage and wisdom and boldness as we follow in the steps of Jesus and his healing ministry. We pray in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.